0: Welcome to the Mom Powerment Podcast. This is the place where we help parents live a happy, healthy life with their kids, even when they are experiencing their most challenging behaviors. We're going to show you how to connect with your child and help them in their most difficult moments as we hear from experts in the field. I'm your host, Dr. Jacobowski, an international speaker. Public school principal and former struggling student. The Mom Powerment podcast equips parents with science based strategies to help you live a happy, healthy life with your kids. Welcome. <laughs> well, I am so excited to have Terry Kozlowski on our show today. Terry lives in Georgia and just published her first book, Raven Transcending Fear, in February, which is part memoir and part self help book. She suffered childhood trauma of abuse, and her hope is that she retells her story through her podcast, Soul Solutions. It will give you courage to embark on your own healing journey, one that transcends fear and returns you to your authentic self and bring you back to the realization that you're worthy and have limitless potential. She's married with kids and grandkids discovered her Native American Alaskan roots. She's a certified life coach, empowerment coach, and artist. Terry, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you very much, Karen, for having me. I look forward to our conversation.
0: Yeah. So Terry, this might be a strange question, but I was so curious. Can you tell us how you discovered your Native American roots and did that take you back to Alaska?
1: So My mother had always told me we were Native American, but she wasn't the one that actually taught me much about it. We had, when I was um, little, I came home from school and was crying because I had been made fun of um, by my classmates. They were calling me Chinka Girl because I have almond-shaped eyes, and I was upset not that they were calling me names, but that they weren't listening when I told them that I was Native American. My mother's reaction, however, was extremely um, irate, and it became, I could tell that um, her identity as a Native American, um, she had issues with because she was given up for adoption at the age of 16, and her heritage was kind of ripped away from her, her identity of who she was, living a sustenance life in Fort Yukon, Alaska, and then all of a sudden being put into what she called the white man's world really affected her. So there was all this anger that was pouring out of her, not so much at me, but at the idea that people weren't respecting who I was. Hmm. So when I got to college, um, high school and college, I started doing some more research on the Athabascan tribes and where we are from. And I did make a trip with my mother to Alaska in the late nineties, um, inside that little, um, village. And when she was there, there was no running water, no electricity. And when I was there, they did have both, but still, I mean, it is sustenance living. Um, there really aren't any jobs there. Um, my cousin who was born and raised there, um, teaches school and they have one store. And so it's very, it's still very sustenance living.
0: Oh, wow. It's so fascinating. I love your quote. Everyone is born fearless and knowing who they are and what their purpose is. However, life experience or abuse may instill fear and break the connection with our authentic selves. And earlier we were talking about how kids are born pure and authentic, but something just happens. Can you tell us more about that?
1: Sure. I believe that we all come to planet Earth knowing who we are, knowing who we authentically are meant to be and have a purpose in life. And yet when we come into this world, we come in full of love, we come in fearless, and we then we come into what's the unknown and our first unknown is our family. And our families can be good, they can be not so good they can be in between but the reality is we're put into our families and there's something our families are to teach us that and i believe very wholeheartedly that the those people in your family are the ones that are going to push your buttons because they know you in a different level than other people on the planet do and you are forced by being having that familiar relationship forced to deal with these people even if if you met them on the street and you never had to deal with them again most of the time the family our family members are not the people we would be friends with so there's something about that in that relationship with them that, that seems to be from a universal perspective very important so when we come into our familiar families it ends up causing us to learn behaviors that they are struggling with my father seemed to have issues with his father So he was very attentive to my sister and I, and neither one of us have a bad relationship with him because he was trying to overcome his bad relationship with his father. My mother, however, had a lot of issues. She was an alcoholic from when I was a small child and all of that, her identity stripped away from her at the age of 16. All of these things contributed to the fact that she could never be whole and in her partiality of her being um, learning to be authentic was something she would never did. And uh, she died alone. Uh, she abandoned us not only um, physically and emotionally when we were children, but in her death, she abandoned us again because she told the aunt, when she was in the hospital that she didn't have any children. So it was a pattern in her life where she kept separating herself from others So when we come into this world and we have to deal with our families and learn to navigate what parts of them am I supposed to keep, what parts of them am I supposed to discard, um, to break those generational patterns of behavior. Um, I'm the first line of women in my mother's history that did not have a daughter. So I only have a son because... For our generational family patterns, one of the things that happened is every single one of the females have been sexually assaulted in my mother's line, going back five generations. It was going to stop with me. So I think part of that, when you have that inner knowing, um, and I think I was a very aware child, and that's how I was able to overcome um. A lot of the different mindsets that go in, along with being content, understanding what being a child of an alcoholic is, understanding that even though I was sexually molested, that it wasn't my fault. I knew after it occurred that I was not to blame for anything. And that's very, very unusual for not only children, but any sort of trauma and as I moved through the processes of healing, I understood that this generational pattern of behavior that we all have to deal with on some level, there is some sort of, whether it's passive aggressive behavior, whether it's, you know, my family's very um, smart aleck comments. And what we don't realize is when we're passive aggressive or when we're being a smart ass, that is not beneficial behavior. And a lot of time, and I've come out in my family and said, you know, I think that's just downright bullying, you know, but it's a, it's a subtle form of bullying and it's an acceptable form of bullying and people jabbing you here and people jabbing you there. And it's supposed to be funny, but the reality is if you keep bringing up a subject that causes me pain or that embarrasses me, that is not those things that are uplifting, those things are not helpful. All they do is tear me down. So, but those are the patterns of behavior that are acceptable. Those are the patterns of behavior that are within all families. And you can, you know, you walk into a family situation and you see that, you see the passive aggressive behaviors around the Thanksgiving table. You see different types of behaviors that come out and across that we don't realize, oh, I should probably should unlearn this. This is not beneficial, not only for me, but for those around me. And we're responsible as adults to break those generational patterns of behaviors so our children don't have to suffer through what we had to suffer through. They don't have to learn the hard lesson. They don't have to change their behavior that is so ingrained into us as we grow up so that if we stop it, they don't have to. And then that's an act of love, as far as I'm concerned, when we are able to break those generational patterns of behavior for our own children.
0: I see that a lot in school where you have to help kids unlearn that natural, like, what was wrong with what I just said. Mm -hmm. And only when you step back and you say, what did you say? How did that make you feel? Does the other kids start to realize oh, I didn't know you would feel that way because I said that. I mean, I've unpacked that so many times when kids got in trouble in school and as an assistant principal and dealing with the behaviors and issues, it's like if you get to the root of it, it was almost like at the end, I would tell parents, like, I think we understand each other a little bit more because it was just understanding that what you said and how that made you feel and vice versa on both sides and how it played into whatever it is was the action that we probably saw that they got in trouble for. So what advice would you give moms listening to this who have young ones and want to keep them pure and authentic?
1: I think the best thing to do, and it's interesting because I think grandparents see this. I think that as we have raised our children, when we have our grandchildren, we realize, oh, I was crazy doing these crazy things back here. I'm going to change this with my grandchildren. And my son... um, has noticed a huge difference in how I um, deal with my granddaughter than I dealt with him. And part of that is is I think parents, as parents, we come in very fearful. Oh, my gosh, I have this infant. I have no idea how to take care of this baby. And I had a friend who, um, when my son was about 12, she had her child. He was only three at the time, so she was in her mid. We were about the same age. She was in her mid thirties, and we're walking through um, their yard. We were in the woods, and this little boy is picking up rocks and sticking in his mouth and spitting them out, and then chewing on a stick. And I'm freaking out. And you know, you know, he has. Uh, he'll be fine. And her reaction to how her son was behaving. Was normal. The reality is that three year old is going to stick everything in their mouth. That's how they learn. That's how they explore. She was watching him. So, you know, if there really was something he shouldn't have gotten a hold of, she would have stopped him. But the reality was she was being a better parent than I was because everything my son touched, I was sanitizing. And, you know, and that is not necessarily good either nowadays. So, when we look at that, we understand that when children and I don't want to use the word misbehave, when children are not behaving in a way we think is appropriate, if they're loud, if they're being vocal, because they don't want to do something, there's a reason they may not want to do it. Talk to them, listen to what your two, three, four-year-old has to say, because if they are expressing themselves, we want them to do that. We don't want them to stuff And sometimes, since they are only three, four, five, or six, they don't have the vocabulary. They don't have the understanding of what it is, how to express that. And that's our job as parents. When something happens and they're upset, we have to walk them and talk them through that process. We need to let them cry. We need to let them get upset and learn how to deal with anger, learn how to deal with disappointment, learn how to deal with sadness. Life gets harder and harder and harder. It doesn't get easier as they grow up. It gets harder. And when they're dealing with peer pressure, understanding how to walk through that and talk through that, you're going to have a better relationship with your child, and they're going to be able to feel comfortable coming to you and telling you things that you will really want to know when they're teenagers.
0: I love that. That's so true. You do want that connection. And So many times what we do naturally, unfortunately either breaks that relationship or pushes them to the point where they don't feel safe to be able to say something to you because they know you're going to either explode because of what they said. But if you can get to that point, exactly how you said, if they know you're going to listen to them, you're not going to come through with any judgment, but like let's help to understand the situation. And then if you can help them learn, so they have those tools, like you said, when they're on their own, that's what we want to build them to be able to do anyway. That's so true. Abs- yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. And as adults, one of the things that we need to realize is we're responsible to learn that behavior as well. If we are flying off the handle by what our child has said, that's our issue, not theirs. Because we did not respond to them in a way that was parental. We are responding to them as you know, shock and awe and all of that anger, um, resentment maybe. And when we do that, we shut doors, we disconnect with others. And uh, one of the things that I talk about uh, in my coaching business is that anger is the acceptable form of letting out pain in public. And when you see angry people, you're seeing hurting people. And so if you are getting angry It's because you're in pain and that is not necessarily something you want to share with your child when they're going through something, when we need to talk to them and help them through a situation, we need to be the ones that stay calm. We need to be the ones that stay rational, but let's look at how to help you get through this situation. Me being upset is a whole other set of circumstances that really and truly has nothing to do with the child. It has to do with how we perceive the situation.
0: I love what, that you said that. I love everything about that. In the So in the first chapter in your book, you talk about children are born unafraid. What do you mean by that? Look
1: at, look at small children. If you look at small children, they're learning to walk. They keep falling down, and unless we go, <sighs> they just get up and keep moving. We're the ones that instill fear when they fall. We're the ones that instill fear when they bang their head on the coffee table as they went down. They may be giggling and get up and keep going, but we're the ones that then start putting in that angst in those children. When um, my granddaughter and I, I, I use her as the example because I. Really understood the difference in how I was relating to her. So she got a new pair of hiking boots. She was about six years old and she climbed a hill and said, Grandma, watch me jump. Now, it wasn't a giant hill, but my angst was, Be careful. So I said, You know, you be careful. You pay attention to what you're doing. She wasn't afraid. I was fearful that she was going to get hurt. Even if she did get hurt, that would have been a lesson for her. That's my limit. And yet we self-impose limitations on our children by not allowing them to be exploratory, by not allowing them to try. And yet when they become teenagers and we want them to try things, well, they're not going to. We've already stifled that creativity and that that seeking that is natural for children. So we're the ones that instill fear. Nobody comes to the planet fearful. Nobody comes to the planet with disliking anybody or anything. Nobody comes to the planet with hate. Those are all learned behaviors. And sadly, we learn them from our parents. We learn them from our families. Those are things that are instilled upon us by the people who love us the most.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you said that because it just takes any mom or grandparent listening to this a different perspective on it to just stop and think. And sometimes when you're just made aware of it, it helps you. Okay. And the next time something happens, you kind of like can check yourself. So I, I so appreciate you taking us through that. Um, and I know you had said, you noticed your child saying to you that you treated your granddaughter differently than you treated them. Can you give us another specific example of that to help those listening?
1: So my son and I, um, uh he said we were very close. I have a completely different take on our relationship. Um, because silly me, um, when I was pregnant, I read Dr. Spock. And Dr. Spock was very much into that baby bonding time after birth. And I actually didn't see him until about seven hours, six or seven hours after he was born. So I gave birth. They threw him on my stomach and they whisked him away because I was uh, three weeks late. There was meconium in the water and they whisked him off to neonatal. But then I ended up having the placenta not disengage. So I started hemorrhaging. And so they were. there was a situation that they really needed to deal with. So once I finally got everything okay, They brought the baby to me six hours later. And now I'm looking at this baby and two things happen. Number one, I don't feel connected. And number two, I think, oh, my God, he's going to leave me. So at that point, I realized my abandonment issue was very much ingrained because nobody should be thinking that their baby's going to leave them the day it's born. So at that point, I realized my abandonment issues were really, um, Entrenched, and it was going to be something I needed to deal with. But because I never felt that we bonded, I spent all the way until he was 18 years old really thinking that there was some sort of disconnection between us. And he's getting ready to um, go into the service when he's 18, and we're having a conversation. And I asked him, Do you feel like you were loved? And he said, Mom, I was loved too much. And so Although I felt disconnected, he never felt disconnected. And that to me was a huge relief. Um, And so when I say that he saw different things with me and my granddaughter, it's because I was fully present with her. Whereas with him, there was so much going on with me that being fully present wasn't necessarily something I was doing. So he would watch a lot of TV. Um, he'd watch a lot of Disney. Um, he had Legos and he would spend hours playing Legos. And I was not as present with him as I am with my granddaughter because I realize now how important that one-on-one time is. And it's interesting. Um, I'm a big believer in love languages and his love language happens to be, um, quality time. So when he is present now I give him that quality time. And over the years, I noticed it um, probably when he was about 14, that that was his love language, because when he wanted to talk, which wasn't very often, it was like three hour stretches. And you had, I had to be fully present. And even, so he uh, just came back from Afghanistan. He, he had been there for 17 months, came back um, last week. And interest, even when he was overseas, when he'd call, and it wasn't a 10 minute here, 10 minute there, it was, I, and I had to be, mom, what are you doing? You're not talking. Let me get fully present and, you know, and and he will notice that. So those things that we do with our children, we must be fully present with. Even if we say, give me 10 minutes to get dinner started, get dinner started and then give your child the time, have that conversation when they're trying to tell you something. It may be so insignificant to you in the grand scheme of things and in their lives, in the grand scheme of things, it may be very insignificant, but at that moment in time, It's important to them and you taking the time to listen will mean more to them over time because they're going to keep coming back to you. And that's what we want with our children, whether or not they are six, 12 or 30. We want our children to come back to us and talk to us.
0: We do. And I love that you brought up that book, Five Love Languages, because my husband and I went through it once. We have found ourselves going through it again. And when you really know and understand, because sometimes it's you cross paths, you think I'm giving you the love that I, how I like to experience it and vice versa. And then you're totally missing each other's real Mm -hmm. reasons or feeling that, that, that I do feel love from you, how, or when, or why. So, um, any parent listening to this, I totally recommend looking up that love language book. So you can understand even how your child uh, receives love. That's, that's so powerful. Here's a quote from you. Children aren't our possessions. And I'd love to hear you share with us more about that.
1: So we all claim our children. He's mine. Um, And especially in a society that a lot of children don't have both parents in their lives, they're not living with both parents. Um, My first husband and I divorced when my son was uh, five years old and um, have lived completely separate lives. But one of the things that I made sure of during the divorce process was that I was giving my ex-husband complete access to my son. And we stayed friends during the course of him growing up. And my son made a comment that he, when he was about 16, that he was one of the only people that he couldn't play one divorced parent against the other. Because if he said to me, well, dad would let me do it. I just pick up the phone and call his day. said, Joshua said this. And of course, dad didn't say that. And so he was never allowed, able to do that. And in some ways, I thought that was a great testament to how well his dad and I worked at maintaining a um, co-parenting situation when so many kids have the exact opposite. So when we talk about the fact that they're not our possessions, we have to look at, especially in divorce situations, that that child is half you and half the other parent. And when you say negative things about the other parent, your dad is a deadbeat or anything like that, you're saying that half of your child is that as well. And they parents don't think through because they're in their pain. And what they don't realize is children suffer through divorce, just like parents suffer through divorce. I happen to be a child of divorce. My dad remarried and his new wife and her ex-husband absolutely clashed. And I saw what that did to my step siblings. And I that's why I was very conscious when I went through my divorce that that wasn't going to happen. And um, my ex had full access and we were able to co parent in a way that worked for my son. And yet when we look at claiming who these children are, gifts to us, we were gifted this little life to help grow into a fully established human being. And if we do our jobs correctly, they're not going to suffer the weight we did to become our authentic selves. And if we're not successful, you're going to see the struggles that they have. The more struggles a child has, the more likely that you have to take responsibility for how you parented. And I did not parent, you know, fabulously on lots of occasions. Um, and at the same time, I understood that, especially when my granddaughter were our, with our relationship, I saw a huge difference in how I parented my son versus how I my relationship with her. And when you realize that, that you know, I went back to my son and I apologized for things that um, getting angry a, a, about stuff that I should never have gotten angry about because he was just being expressive. There are those things that we realize as adults much older adults with adult children, that those nuances that we don't like about ourselves are in our children. And part of that, again, is that learning process, that generational behavior patterns that we didn't cut, we didn't end with us, that got passed on. And I think that when we see that, we should take responsibility So say, you know what, that's really not the best behavior to have. Let's look at both of us not Doing this anymore, and so I mentioned to my son about the fact that I'm not saying the smart aleck remarks anymore, and he said, "Really?" And I said, "Think, pay attention when when that is happening. How if I'm participating?" And he was home for three days, and he, right before he um, took a, he's taking a little vacation. Right before he left, he said, "You're right, Mom. You did it twice in the three days." He is noticing that I have made that particular change. Uh, for me, because I want a better relationship with others. I want an authentic connection with others. I don't want to be tearing anybody down. I want to be building them up. I want to be encouraging them. And when we are poking at one another, we're not doing that. Mm
0: -hmm. And so also, how do we protect our kids from conforming to what's around them? How do we help them remain true to their authentic self? So
1: I think the best way to do that is to understand when they truly say, I like this, that we encourage. So for example, um, I really liked paint when I was a teen, and yet I was discouraged at painting. So I didn't pick up a paintbrush for 25 years. But for me, it's not about I'm going to be a Picasso. For me, it was about letting out creativity. For me, it was about getting in sync with the flow of the universe and that we co-create every day. When we're in that co-creation process, we have to allow that flow to, to move through us. And however we do that, now I do it through writing, but I still paint. And when we allow those things in our children to come out, don't tell them that they, the horse has to be brown. Don't tell them that they have to color between the lines. In the grand scheme of things, it means nothing. And yet for that child in that moment, them being expressive, them being creative is the more important thing to look at. And whether they're writing, even if they're writing dark subjects, Let that happen. Let that flow out of them. We have to let children learn how to express themselves in a way that allows them to be their authentic selves. And they may be working through something that we are unaware of. And maybe through their writing or maybe through their dark painting, they're working through it. And when you see the dark painting, you can ask, what does this mean to you? Not what's going on, not getting all defensive. What does this mean to you? And if you just ask that simple, what does this mean to you? How are you feeling? Those questions really allow us our children in ways that are not our normal way of connecting with kids nowadays.
0: That was so helpful. Thank you. And finally, I know in our last call, you had mentioned, we as adults cannot forget to play and how important that is for kids when we were kids. But tell us a little bit more about that.
1: That was the um, biggest blessing from my granddaughter was that I learned to play again. And what I mean by that was when um, I started painting again, um, what ended up happening, I moved into a new area. And when we moved here, um, I didn't know anybody close. And I I found a paint and sip class and I went by myself. And that was another thing that people are just that I would go do anything by myself Uh, And I went by myself um, two or three days a week. I was doing this, not the sipping part, but the painting part. I was allowing myself the ability to flow with the, the creative process. And when my granddaughter came over, I started painting with her. And she wanted, she's very outdoorsy. So we would take hikes together and she would, you know, get on the ground and watch the ants. We're all still very curious, but as adults, we tend to shut that down a bit because our lives are so hectic. Mm-hmm. But our lives really aren't hectic. We make our lives hectic. We put pressure on ourselves to get our to-do list. And the reality is, you know, I have a mantra that I use every morning um, that I am, uh, I'm in, I'm one with the universe, and I flow with my creativity, and I will complete all that I am supposed to accomplish this day, whether my to-do list has 20 items on it and I only get two done, that's all I was supposed to accomplish this day. And so I don't ever stress about my to-do list. It gets done, it gets done. If it doesn't, tomorrow is another day. And when we think about children, they're never hectic. We're the ones that cause children to get hectic. We're the ones that cause children to get stressed. We're the ones that overschedule them by giving making them go to school and then have all these art classes or dance classes or ball games. We do that. And if you really think about and ask your child, what would you like to do? You can go, these are the options and let them choose. Mm-hmm. And then support them in whatever it was they choose. Um, my stepson was forced to play baseball. He had no, he was in the Little League. He had no desire to do it. He'd sit out in the middle of the field on his butt, holding his glove and playing with the grass. When maybe if he was given a set of Legos, he could have kept himself busy for hours. Um, so those things are up to us to, to help our ch- children find who they authentically are. Give them the options to explore. Let the boys play with the dolls. Let the girls play with the Tonka trucks. Let them explore and figure out what it is that they want to do. Because I went through that. I wanted to become a speech pathologist when I was um, ending high school, going into college. And my dad absolutely did not want me to do that. And back in the mid 80s, when I was going to getting ready to go to college, um, speech pathologists were making about $30,000 in a hospital setting. What my dad did not realize, and I really didn't realize, but that's what I wanted to do um, is that now because of the baby boomers, because of my dad's generation, the need for speech pathologists skyrocketed mm-hmm. because as the baby boomers got older the baby and living longer, they were suffering from strokes and they needed that type of care. The speech pathologist. So they're now making private practice anywhere eighty to one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year. And every so often, I point out to my dad, "That's what you kept me from doing." So I did what my daddy wanted me to do. Hated it. And two years in, I went to my. Um, College supervisor and said, I hate this. What can I do with all these credits? And I have a minor in economics, a minor in accounting, a minor in anth- a minor in history, and I have a bachelor's of science and social sciences degree, so that I could finish school. Because at mm-hmm. that point I was like, I just want the degree done. And Every so often, my dad will make a comment about it. And I said, well, on the work I'm doing, the social sciences degree is fine. But if you you don't, don't stifle because you're Um, concerned about the money.
0: Let them do, let them pursue what they love. You'll see them come alive. You'll see them have passion. You'll see them put energy and focus into it. Just let them allow them to do what they love, find it and let them go with it. And lastly, before I let you go, because I've enjoyed every minute of this conversation, I just love everything you've shared with us. This is just so valuable. Thank you. Um, so your book, uh, Ravens transcending fear is also something you also share about the book on your podcast. Is that correct?
1: It is. It is. Um, my podcast, soul solutions are, is a solo show, just me. And they're about uh, 10, 15 minute segments where I dive deep into a specific area. Uh, Recently, I did a show on um, generational patterns and behavior. Um, Last week's show or this week's show will be about um, being fully present in the moment, understanding that we only have this present moment. And when we are in this moment, there is no depression because depression is living in the past and there is no anxiety because anxiety is living in the future. But in the present moment, everything is well. And so we dive deep into the object so that you walk away with things that you can are actionable, that you can add to your life so that you can transcend the fear and limiting beliefs.
0: And where can someone find you if they want to follow you?
1: Um, com is my website and you can follow me on all the social media com is the book you can also get it on amazon and so solutions podcast.com and i'm on every podcast channel so wherever you find a podcast i'm there
0: thank you and i'll put all that information in the description notes of this episode terry i can't thank you enough and i wish you all the best and i hope to see you soon and talk with you again soon thank you for all the treasures you left with us today thank you very much karen i had a
1: great time with you
0: Well, that's all we've got for this episode of the Mom Empowerment Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. I can't wait to help you live a happier, healthier life with your kids. Click subscribe today, and we can't wait to have you join us on our next episode. Thanks again. And remember, don't worry, be happy. Hey there, it's Karin. I hope that you're enjoying the show. And by the way, if you're a mom who wants to learn how to help your child when they're struggling behaviorally or facing challenges in school, get started today by getting my free short video course on First Steps to Mom Powerment. Go to www.educationalimpactacademy.com forward slash free video. If you're new here or you haven't done this yet, this is definitely the first step to get started in learning how to have a happy life and healthy life with your kids. So head on over to www.educationalimpactacademy.com forward slash free video and grab your free gift today.